Behind the Shade. So I know we started a new year. So how's your new year overall? Um, it's gotten off to a good start. Uh, you know, I've been doing my podcast, doing my coaching. Um, I'm a contributing writer to two books that are coming out in March. So I'm kind of excited about that. And uh, just keeping warm in, in the cold winter. <laughs> Absolutely. Has the winter been bad there? Because my winter has been pretty mild so far. No, it really hasn't been bad. Um, you know, today was relatively mild for winter, but there were some few gusty winds that knocked the wind chill down a little bit. All in all, nothing to complain about. I hope all your dreams and goals for this year come true. So I'll officially start and I want to welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Shades. I have my lovely guest here, Debbie. And Debbie, why don't you tell people who you are and tell us a little bit about who Debbie is. Okay, well, my name is Debbie Spector Weissman. I am a certified dream life coach. I'm an author, a podcaster, TV host, and uh, a person who at this stage of my life is just loving life and here to be of service to anyone I can. Perfect. So tell us, as we start, tell us a little bit about your journey into podcasting, into coaching, into TV. Tell us how you got to this point, Debbie. Well, this was um, a journey that began actually in despair. Uh, I would say 30 years in the making, more or less. Um, shall I go into the, the despair first? Or, or end well, up you, well, you know what, Debbie, I'm going to let you, you start with the despair because you've told me so much about your story in the, in the few conversations we've had, and I'm so intrigued by it. So let's start off because I think that's actually the beginning of your journey. If i if I remember correctly, that the despair happened earlier on. Oh, absolutely. Um, we will go back to, uh, the year 1991. Uh, my husband and I have a film and video post-production company. We were living in Los Angeles at the time and the company had been growing year after year after year and it was very successful. But in 1991, uh, our two biggest clients declared bankruptcy, uh, leaving us holding the bag for uh, well over $100,000. And to make matters worse, the bankruptcy court then said, oh, you got paid too much and you've got to pay NBC and Universal and Paramount money, which, you know, we thought was terribly unfair. Uh, but it was obviously a depressing situation because anytime you've got a financial setback, it certainly is. Uh, and we you know, slowly but surely, you know, crawled out of that hole and uh, you know, sort of got back on our feet. Uh, then several years later, uh, a tragedy happened in our life. Uh, one of our business partners got murdered. And that was yeah, obviously a horrible situation. Uh, my husband, in his effort to help himself recover from it, uh, he's a screenwriter, so he wrote a screenplay based on what happened, a fictionalized version of what happened. Uh, it got picked up and uh, was made into a movie and he was able to direct it. The unfortunate thing was that the 
uh, company he made the movie for uh, not only didn't like what he did, but got into a dispute with his producer. The end result being that we got sued. We had three years of incredible distress of having to go through a lawsuit, which was ended up hurting everybody in its path. Later to learn that the guy never really wanted to sue us. We were just collateral damage, which made it even worse because it was very devastating to us. Uh, the end result was that by the end of the 90s, uh, I had taken all of this on myself. I beat myself up for all these things that happened, even though in reality it wasn't my fault. I had nothing to do with it. I somehow felt I must have done something to bring this on. And it ended up with me being feeling depressed, feeling defeated, demoralized, and just not loving life whatsoever. Uh, and then through our movie business, uh, that's when the change happened. Uh, in the early 2000s, we were hired to do the post-production on a movie called What the Bleep Do We Know? I don't know if you know this movie, but it went on to be one of the most successful My Body Spirit movies ever made. And like I said, we were hired to do the movie part, to be the post-production uh, people on the movie, to help finish the movie. Uh, up to that point, uh, that movie totally changed my mindset, my way of thinking, because up to that point, I considered myself the total fatalist. You know, life had handed me a bad set of cards and all these things that happened, you know, were the result of that. And there was nothing I could do about it. Uh, but the theme of the movie was, no, you have the power to control your life. And like I said, this was a radical concept for me. And when I started to think, is this really true? Can I actually change my mindset? Uh, that was just a total eye-opener for me. And it began a more than 10-year journey of answering that question. Well, who am I? What do I want? And how do I get out of this despair that I was feeling? And knowing, getting that revelation from that movie was one thing just to get the thought, oh, you can change your life. It's a different thing to say, okay, now that I know that everything's changed, everything's different. Of course, it doesn't work that way. Um, I really had to work on answering those really hard questions. Uh, what was it that I wanted? More importantly, who am I? Uh, and I realized that that was a question I really had never sat down and asked myself my entire life. You know, by this point, you know, I, I was, you know, in middle age, I was not a young person. Uh, I had lived a life, you know, I had very good things happening in my life. You know, I have a loving husband, I've got two children. Uh, and, you know, the family life was fine, but the whole uh, figuring out the other part of my life, you know, what am I as a person? What can I contribute? Uh, that was just so up in the air because I realized that all of those years when I was working in our business, uh, it was important work. It was valuable work. 
uh, it was work that was needed, uh, but it wasn't really my work. It wasn't uh, who I was meant to be. And like I said, I went through this exploration of, well, what is it? What am I? What am I meant to be? And this exploration led me into dream work. I was introduced to somebody who was a dream master who taught me dream work. And I actually went through her program to become a certified dream life coach. Uh, but what really turned things around for me for good was a dream I had while I was in my training. And the interesting thing about this dream was it wasn't one of these long, complicated, epic dreams that so many people have that just, you know, really, you know, give them these great experiences and great visions. This dream was one word. And the only reason I think I remembered the dream was because the word was so unusual. Uh, the word was codpiece. Now, I don't know if you know what a codpiece is. At the time, I didn't know what it was. So the first thing I did was look it up. And uh, a codpiece was a piece of leather that a that developed in the Middle Ages that men wore to protect their genital area. And uh, they did that for, you know, it was a big fashion item in the Middle Ages, uh, later fell out of favor, but then uh, came back up again in the 1980s when a lot of heavy metal rockers wore cod pieces in front of their genital areas. Uh, so I didn't have to figure out well, what did it mean? Why did I have this dream? Why would I dream about a cod piece? Well, to make a very, very long story short, I realized that a cod piece was something strong, something hard that was protecting something very precious and something that meant a lot to the person who had the cod piece. Well, then I had to ask myself, well, what, how did that relate to me? I realized that I had put a cod piece between me and the rest of the world. Uh, at the time, I had been very, very shy, very, very quiet. I didn't speak up. Um, if something was bothering me, I held it in. Uh, like I said, I beat myself up for things, whether it was my fault or not. And I realized that if I didn't do something to change the situation, I was going to be behind the codpiece for the rest of my life. Well, I realized that's not what I wanted. So at having that dream and realizing what it meant, uh, I made the commitment that I was going to do what I needed to do to break out of the codpiece. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do, but the interesting thing was uh, two days after I had that dream, I had another dream. That dream again was one word. Uh, th this one was almond. And when I woke up and realized I had a dream about an almond, I just laughed because immediately I knew what it meant. An almond is something that's got a shell that's protecting something precious, you know, the, the almond inside it. But the good news was that the almond shell was not as thick as a codpiece. So I realized I'm on the right track. I'm doing what I need to do to figure out 
how I can break through the cod piece. And again, this wasn't a, a situation where one day I had this dream, I had the meeting and poof, you know, I'm, I'm this great talkative, wonderful person. You know, it, it took work. It took a while to get past that stage. Uh, but because I was so, it convinced me of the power of dreams. It made me realize that this is how I can be of service to people. This is how I could give back to the world. I finished my training to become a dream life coach so that I could show other people how their dreams can have meaning for them that could give them insights on how to uh, deal with problems in their own lives. And uh, ever since then, I've been doing that, helping people uh, understand their dreams, helping them, once they understand their dreams, uh, look at what other self-limiting beliefs they have that are keeping them from making their dreams fulfilled. And then so let I me ask you, let me ask you a question, Debbie, now that you've said that, um, because you said that you had a fatalist approach um, earlier on, and then you said you had these two dreams that they sound quite significant, quite profound, right? Because these are two um, dreams that you're having that are showing you a different side of you. Is that accurate to say? Absolutely. Uh, that is the wonderful thing about dreams and why I love dream work. Um, and I'll just di you know, digress for a second just to give you a little insight about dreams. Uh, <clears throat> our dreams come from our subconscious. And the subconscious is a part of our brain that is dormant it's asleep during the daytime during the daytime our prefrontal cortex is a part of our brain that's awake that's the part that keeps us going you know right now it controls all of our functions and uh, our thinking and our thought processes during the day we think somewhere in the neighborhood of ninety thousand thoughts a day you know that little voice in your head that keeps going on, 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 going day in, day out, day in, day out. You most of the time you're not even aware of it. Uh, but of all of those 90,000 or so thoughts, most of them are negative. So this is going on in our daily life, day in, day out, negative thoughts bombarding us. We don't even realize this is happening. Well, the good news is when we go to sleep at night, and we dream, our prefrontal cortex shuts down and uh, our subconscious awakes and our dreams lie in our subconscious. Those thoughts that we have there are unfiltered. They're thoughts that really define who we are. They're the thoughts that if we had these thoughts in our daytime without any of those other 90,000 thoughts going on, We'd all live wonderful lives because we know so, who we are all the time. How, how would we go from these more positive thoughts at night while we are sleeping to maybe filling our minds with more of these positive, holistic thoughts as we're awake? How would we go about that? Well, first is to realize what your dreams are telling you. 
So if you have a dream that is really giving you an insight, you know, write it down, uh, really, you know, meditate on it, uh, think about it, really get it to the point where you is you are embodying that thought. That's one step. Uh, meditation, daytime meditation helps immensely because that does help you uh, calm your mind and can also help you make aware of some of those thoughts that you are thinking in the day that are holding you back. Uh, we often just don't think about these things. Becoming aware of what's going on is, is the greatest gift you could give yourself because once you're aware, you can, you can deal with something. Most of the time you're going through life sleepwalking, totally unaware of these, you know, self-limiting beliefs that are bombarding you all the time. Once you become aware of it, then you can deal with it. And that's perfect because I'm looking back at, there's, there's a time in my life, um, I want to say about 10 years ago, I was having this dream and in this dream, near the end of it, I would always die in this dream, right? Um, but it wasn't a dream where when I'm about to die, I would wake up. I would actually, I would actually die. Then I would wake up and I would have this dream for a number of days, a number of weeks. And I couldn't quite understand what it was at the time, but I always felt looking back because of the period of time that this dream in my life was occurring, I think it was a way of me being reborn. Right. So if someone were to come to you like me and say that, you know what, Debbie, I'm having this dream. I always die in a different way. And I've been having it for a number of days, a number of weeks. But as I'm having this dream, I notice I'm taking more and more steps in my in my life. How would you help me in that situation? OK, well, you touch on two points of, of dream work. One is the recurring dream, which is what you had. And the other is the dreams of dying, which is one of the more common dream that people have. Uh, and like you said, you know, you didn't die, like physically die, leave this planet in the dream. Most times, and, and, most, and a lot of times when people say, you know, they have dreams about dying, they think it means they're literally going to die. Uh, most of the time, like 99% of the time, no, what, what it means is that there is something in your life that is ending. It could be, you know, something, you know, concrete, like a job or a relationship, uh, something of that matter, or it could be something internal, like a, a belief or uh, some, some uh, incident of, of, uh, a reflection that isn't working for you anymore and you're going on from this and the thing i always ask people uh when they have dreams is how does it relate to what's going on in your life and maybe if you, if you go back you can see what was going on in your life where you felt something was ending and or maybe you were taking steps to change something in your life that wasn't working anymore and that you said that the more you had the dreams, the more you were coming to, you know, steps to uh, 
improve the situation, um, provides another interesting uh, fact about dreams. Uh, one of my, uh, I'm going to say mentor because I, I didn't know him, but I read his books and he was a very, very influential dreamer named Jeremy Taylor. And he said that all dreams are in the service of healing and insights for us. And I believe that our dreams are here to help us, to heal us, to give us those inf that information that we're looking for. And so even without you doing anything concrete in terms of analyzing the dream or doing anything about that, in your own mind, you were healing yourself through having these series of dreams. Once the dream stopped, um, a number of things happened to me. One, I changed my circle of friends, my support system, to a more supportive, positive group of people. I was able to receive a number of promotions within, my, within the company I work for currently now. So I see a lot of things positively happening since then, even though, um, as you probably get some of these people that you interact with, it is quite scary that once you fall asleep, you're having this situation where you're passing. But while I was awake, a lot of positive things was actually happening to me. And uh, that is the thing about dreams. Like, you know, you would say that the dream you had was a nightmare. Uh, anytime you have a scary dream, you know, we call them a nightmares. But I believe that nightmares are here to really help us and help us heal uh, if we pay attention to it because that nightmare is giving you information. You know, you may not have, you know, sat down and analyzed it, but in your dream, it was telling you that there was a phase in your life, something in your life was undergoing a change. And, uh, you know, it, if, if you were paying attention and analyzing the dream, you know, you may have realized, oh, this, had to do with the circle of friends or the situation and and maybe comes to that conclusion a little bit quicker uh but the other thing about recurring dreams is that once you resolve the situation in your waking life you stop having those dreams like you said you stopped having the dream when when the changes were made in your life that's it and you know what and you're right because i'm looking at it and i must say like just speaking to you now I'm going back and trying to remember all so many of the dreams I've had, right? Um, I, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I had this dream and when, when I'm awake, this is what's happening. And I'm having this dream and then this is what's happening. And I'm looking at your situation and I'm taking in everything that you're saying. I'm like, how do we analyze certain dreams like for you telling us what you've been through telling us what, what you've gone through you've had these dreams where there was this protective garment or this protective shell around you and you and as the dreams continue the protection is getting less but the inside of that protection is getting stronger how did you know to analyze it that way and how can you help us prepare to analyze our dreams to understand what they mean in the waking world? Well, um, I think 
I analyzed it that way because, like I said, I went through all the practical things, like what is the definition of a cod piece? And then I asked myself, well, how does that relate to me? Well, the cod piece, you know, I wasn't a great, uh, I love history, but I wasn't really a great student of medieval history. So I didn't see a relationship there. Um, I love music, but heavy metal music was not my favorite kind of music. So I didn't see any relationship there. So I said, well, it doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with the literal meaning of the word. And I have to see, well, ask myself, what does a cod piece mean to me? And that's always a question asked about any symbol you have in a dream. Uh, what does it mean to me? Uh, now, cod piece, like they have dream dictionaries, you know, where you can look up a symbol and say, oh, this symbol means this or that symbol means that. They're kind of helpful in giving you sort of a basic guidance, but it doesn't always necessarily mean that's what that symbol means to you. So that's the question always, what does it mean to me? And I had to think about, well, what does a cod piece mean to me? And then by thinking about it and, and you know, just letting it ruminate in my mind, I then had that like aha moment. Oh, well, I think that, you know, it, the cod piece is a shield that, you know, is protecting me. And uh, because that dealt with, you know, when I was saying like the, having the questions of, you know, who am I and what is my purpose? Um, you know, I didn't like being, you know, very quiet and, uh, you know, timid person. I didn't like that being of me uh, and I didn't know how to get out of it. But having that dream really showed me that there was a path to get out of it. It was up to me to then figure it out more. Uh, but having the dream and then going through the dream life coach training that I did also increased my confidence. There were some other things I did during that period that were confidence boosters for me. And when I increased my confidence and really also began to love myself, because that was another thing, I didn't realize I'd actually didn't love myself. Uh, and I'm, I don't mean that in a selfish way. I just mean it in a you know, nurturing way. I wasn't giving myself the things I needed to make myself feel loving and loved even though i was it was just a perception thing why did you feel that you didn't love yourself and or why did you feel that you didn't deserve the type of love that i believe you're giving yourself now well i think the reasons behind it would probably take a day to answer totally oh debbie uh, just so you know we have we have all the t everyone we have all the time in the world <laughs> go ahead <laughs> The reason why I, I want to know that, Debbie, is like I'm looking at you and you project confidence, right? In the way that you, you answer the questions, your posture, everything, right? So that's why if someone like you, right, as successful as you are, can say to me, because we don't know each other that well, but we know each other well enough to have this conversation, be comfortable with each other, right? If you can say that, you know what? I didn't love myself the way that I should have loved myself. I didn't give myself the type of love that I needed to nurture myself. There's probably so many men and women out there who are feeling the same way you are, 
but may not have come to that conclusion yet. So that's why I ask, why do you think you weren't giving yourself the love that you should have been giving yourself? Oh, I think the the origins of it, you know, go back to childhood. Um, and I think so many people go through things like this where um, as a child, we don't always understand, you know, all the actions that our parents do. You know, we when we're born, we just demand and crave unconditional love. And then when we get older, uh, the most loving parent, I mean, because I'm as guilty as this as anything else. Um, when we're trying to teach our children how to behave, you know, the word no comes up a lot. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I said no to my kids when, you know, they were little. And I'm sure my parents said no to me a million times also. Uh, but the child hearing that isn't hearing the loving parent saying, I'm telling you this because I want you to, you know, behave in a way that, that you can get along well with others and, you know, be a good citizen and that sort of thing. The child's hearing, I'm not getting the unconditional love. There are conditions here. Therefore, maybe I'm not lovable or something, you know, something to that effect. And for everybody, because obviously not every single person in the world hates himself, but it happens enough. And I think this is like one of the reasons because whether purely unintentional ways, because certainly I never ever wanted to make my kids think that they weren't totally loving and loved and loving, but I'm sure I said things to them or did things to them where they picked up some feeling, you know, they, they heard it differently. Well, I heard it differently too. You know, I heard, you know, I'm not lovable. Now it didn't, it wasn't like as so a profound a thing where, you know, I couldn't love other people. Uh, obviously I, I fell in love. I got married. I'm still married to my husband all these years later, you know, I have kids and I love them. I the you know, my family and friends. Uh, but I didn't realize that, you know, without realizing it, there were conditions there. And so through dream work and really understanding what's going on in that mind and those, you know, thousands of negative thoughts going on, you know, it made me understand, no, you know, I am lovable. I am a loving person. I am capable of having love. I'm capable of giving love. All those other things about not being lovable was just a story I told myself. And a story is a story. It's a made up thing. Did you ever, do you remember the first time you told yourself that you love yourself? Well, for, for honest, um, you know, now, you know, in this, this part of my life, when I realized this, um, it was during that year I was studying dream work. Uh, one of the uh, assignments that we were given uh, by my wonderful teacher, Kelly Sullivan Walden, uh, was to do what she called a dream date. Now, a dream date is something that you do by yourself 
for yourself. That's something you wouldn't ordinarily do. And the assignment was to do it once a week. Now, I rebelled against this big time at the beginning. It's like, what do I need to do this for? This is a waste of time. This is this doesn't make any sense. Uh, but then I had um, an incident where I said, you know what? I'm going to actually try and see if this works. And the dream date I started with was uh, going out to a restaurant by myself. Now, you know, I'd been gone, you know, had lunch in a restaurant, but I'd never made a conscious effort to go out to a restaurant by myself to eat. And I said, I'm going to do this and make this a really loving event. I'm going to make it an exciting thing just for me. You know, I picked the restaurant. I went to a place. They had a, you know, a meal I really liked. Uh, it happened to be on, on the beach. So I got a table so I could look out and look at the ocean and watch the people walking by and just had a wonderful time. And it made me realize that, you know, I can enjoy myself. I can enjoy being by myself. I mean, I always did. I'd, I'd take that back a step. You know, I most of my life I, I was a loner. So I'd spend time with myself, but it wasn't, um, you know, intentionally, I'm doing this to have a good time kind of thing. Uh, and so this started something that made me feel good. And because it made me feel good, I did it again. I did another dream date to the point where at the end of the uh, our end of our course, we had to do uh, an ending assignment. And my project was to compile all the dream dates I did and what my other fellow students did. And I had a whole bunch of them and it ended up being uh, an ebook that I wrote called 101 Dream Dates. How to say I love you to the person, most important person in your life, you. Because I found that when I did this on a regular basis, I really did see that I was lovable and loving and that I could love myself. And uh, it was just this wonderful feeling that came over me. And as a result, uh, I'm going to get a little, you know, woo-woo here for a second and say that we are all energetic beings. You know, energy is all around us and we are sensitive to the energy around us. When we are feeling good, when we're feeling positive, our energy levels rise. And the more positivity we put in our life, the more love we put in our life, our energy rises and rises. And when it rises, you feel better, physically feel better, you feel lighter, you feel more creative. When you're in that kind of mindset, that's when your know, ideas will pop in your head or inspiration strikes, things like that happen. And when I did this, I also increased my self-confidence and that became a, you know, continual thing. The more I did it, you know, the higher my energy level, the higher my confidence. And it just, you know, continued to the point where, you know, before all this happened, you know, if you had told me, oh, I'm going to be uh, helping people understand their dreams and helping them, you know, get confidence in their life and helping them stop feeling stuck and helping them, 
you know, feel, you know, get rid of those self-limiting beliefs. I would have said you were nuts. I, said, I can't do that. You know, who am I to do that? That's crazy. Uh, but it's within all of us. I mean, we, we all have the power within us to be, you know, anything we want to be. And, and see, I, that's, that's beautiful because if you take a step back and you look at the picture you just painted, right? You took this first step in a very public place, right? Like you went to a restaurant, you were on the beach, you had the view. The setup is this amazing kind of reward, rewarding, romantic um, vibe to yourself, right? Because subconsciously, maybe you're saying that, you know what? I am lovable. I am someone that someone would find the desire to love. So let me project that out there. And you went on this dream date, as you mentioned, and you picked a place where a lot of people do what? A lot of people will bring their significant other to that same scenario you, you did, that same situation. And that's how they're expressing their love for the other person. Couples will go there. Spouses will go there. Um, third or fourth dates will go there. You took yourself to a very positive, very emotional place, right? And here, and that was day one. And then you did that day after day until you reached this point. And you're letting the world, to me, you're letting the world know, you know what? Debbie is lovable. Debbie's just just as important as everyone around me. Was that your state of mind at that point where you're like, let me put this out there. Let me take that first step. But that first step is actually going to be a leap. Yes. Very much so. And interestingly enough, um, after the book came out, a lot of people who read it said, my God, I hate the idea of going out to eat by myself. I would never do that. And I realized it's a very common fear that people have. Um, and, uh, you know, the other part of it is realizing uh, that, Whenever you take a little step outside of your comfort zone, you build that little confidence muscle a little bit more. Because uh, it may be, it may feel scary, it may feel uncomfortable, but do it anyway. Because after you do it, you realize how much better you feel. And uh, you know, it, it's it's hard for a lot of people to see that because they, they just get stuck on, on the fear part and let the fear stop them. That, I mean, that's how I was. I mean, that's how I lived my life, you know, for many, many, many years. So having been there and seeing how much nicer it is the other way, you know, my, my mission is to help people realize, you know, how they, you know, can get rid of those fears and be the people they want to be. I remember the first time I went to the movies by myself. Um, it's uneasy and you kind of underappreciate the courage it takes to be by yourself. Because trust me, they know you're there by yourself. <laughs> right? But you know what? You realize after a while, it doesn't matter because once you leave that restaurant, that movie theater, that buffet, whatever the situation is, these people are a group of people you may not see again. So what we dream up in our head may be one, what they're not necessarily thinking anyways, because you know what, even though we think they notice us, they may not even notice who we are. And two, 
you get more courageous as it goes on. Now, what I do is there's because I did that, there's a number of times where I'll go to a restaurant for lunch by myself or, you know, maybe um, an evening dinner by myself. And I think more people should do that because look at how important it is to you. The people that you come in contact with, the people that you coach, do you get them to do days like that? And when they do, do you tell them your story as well? Because that day must be so important to you. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I feel it's important to tell my story because it's it shows that, you know, if I, could, if I can do it, anybody could do it. You know, there's nothing special about me, you know. I mean, I'm a nice person, <laughs> everything, but there's nothing special about me. I'm not, you know, I don't have, a, you know, such an incredibly brilliant mind or have these brilliant situations. It's just that I've been able to apply these concepts uh, in a way that helps me deal with fear. I, I want to just step back and say, and say something about fear because that's sort of the underlying condition for for all of this you know i was i spent a life living in fear it with and and again without really realizing it on a conscious level but just um you know afraid to do things because i didn't i was afraid how, what would people think how would people see me just like you in the movie you're know, wondering you know what they're going to notice i'm there by myself what are they going to think you know and when you finally get to the realization that it's not important what anybody else thinks, what's important is how you feel about yourself. And if you love yourself, if you, you know, live your life authentically, it doesn't matter what other people think, you know, some people will like you, some people won't, but it doesn't matter. What's important is your, sense of self-love and self-worth and you made a good point when you mentioned fear um i believe that prevents many of us from doing certain things that we know will bring us happiness and when you mentioned that now i was thinking about what you said earlier about how you felt that you were a loner you were shy um you felt that maybe you didn't deserve the kind of love that you wanted did fear play a part in that? And the reason why I'll ask that is sometimes we may feel that if I approach Debbie, I'm afraid that the love they give me is not going to be enough. I'm afraid that if I go out there and approach them, I don't know what they're going to think. Did fear play a part in your life like that? And did it ultimately manifest itself into the dreams that you had that you mentioned to me earlier in our podcast? Uh, very much so. Um, you know, the expression, you know, feeling comfortable in your skin. When I was growing up, I never felt comfortable in my skin. Uh, I was incredibly self-conscious, you know, which meant that again, all, you know, I was afraid to speak up because I was afraid, what will people think if I say this, or what if I do the wrong thing or something that, somebody doesn't like, you know, it's, it was, it was more comfortable for me. I made it more comfortable for me, you know, to hide in this, you know, little shell I'd created, 
you know, covered with the big podcast, uh, the uh, cod piece. Uh, it, it was more comfortable to be the small little person, you know, who didn't speak up, you know, who spoke only when spoken to. Uh, you know, and if people spoke to me, I spoke back. You know, it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't, you know, a hermit or anything like that. But um, I, you know, I was afraid to show myself because I was convinced again, because another one of those self-limiting beliefs was if I show myself, people won't like me. So I kind of made it a self-fulfilling prophecy by not speaking up. I didn't enable people to get close enough to like me. And, you know, that was the answer. Why didn't I have a lot of friends when I was a kid? Well, that was the reason because I hid myself from everybody so that, you know, Who'd want to? The self-limiting beliefs that you had, how much of an impact did that have on you growing up? Well, um, like I said, I was very shy. You know, I had, um, you know, a couple of close friends. Um, and that was, that was enough for me. Um, I made it enough for me. Uh, but there was this whole world out there that I kind of shut myself off of because, uh, you know, it was too, it was too fear. I was too fearful of putting myself out there. So I kept myself small. I kept myself, you know, in this, you know, little hole, uh, which, you know, served me well in the sense that, you know, I spent a lot of time reading and I spent a lot of time studying. So I was a good student. You know, I did well in school. So, you know, I was able to, get good grades and then go on from there. So, you know, it wasn't like a whole hundred percent negative experience. I don't want to make it sound like that, but you know, that was the compensation for it. And again, all of this was all unconscious, you know, wasn't like I, I mean, I know I was quiet. I know I didn't speak up, but, but I wasn't doing it, you know, for a conscious reason, which is, I felt this is just the way I am. And Again, being a fatalist of person, this is just the way I am. There's nothing I could do about it. And it wasn't until many, many, many years later when I saw maybe I can do something about it. You know, that was, you know, the turning point. That's, a, that's, that's good. And that's a good example. As you're saying that, I'm looking back at my life. Um, we're both not that old. We're young, everyone. <laughs> but... <laughs> The person that's quiet and to themselves in the room, the person that is quiet and to themselves in the classroom, the person that is around a lot of people but doesn't say much, they may be going through what you what you went through. They may be in a situation that they may feel you know what, I'm afraid to speak up and join the conversation because I don't know how people are going to view me. I don't know if they're going to accept me. I don't know if, I don't know if these people are my friends to the point where they're going to love me the way I want them to love me or, the, or they're going to love me the way I want to love them. Looking back, what would you tell a younger version of yourself or what would you tell, just if you're going to keep it broad, what would you tell the next generation on how to prepare for that and how to come out of that shell? Uh, I, well, I would tell my younger self, 
you know, don't be so hard on yourself. Uh, you know, there's a whole world out there and, you, you know, you don't have to shut yourself off from it. Uh, you can go out and just find, you know, find, you know, the, the one or two points that, that, you know, are comfortable and do what you can little bit by little bit to, you know, take those little baby steps outside of your comfort zone, you know, take a little risk here and there because the hardest thing is just to make that first step because, you know, you've built up, you know, so many reasons why taking that first step is not a good reason, you know, and all those reasons really aren't based in fact, they're based in fear. They're based on those self-limiting beliefs. So, uh, but doing it despite the fear, despite everything, it, it helps chip away at those self-limiting beliefs and, and, you know, get you on the road to where you're more open and more loving. Um, I will say even now, even to this day, you know, I'm never going to be that person who's going to, you know, walk in the room and, and, you know, shout and wave my hands around the air and, you know, be that kind of person. You know, that's just, that's not who I am and that's not who I want to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, but there's a difference between that and not being expressive at all. So I think at this point, you know, I've gotten, I, for my own self, I've gotten that, that, you know, happy medium where, you know, I, I've broken through the cod piece, you know, I'm out of it. Uh, and I'm at a point where I feel comfortable. Again, that expression, I'd say today, I feel comfortable in my skin. Beautiful. And what kind of dreams do you have now, now that you've broken out of the cod piece and the almond shell? Oh, well, the dreams vary from everything, you know, like, like so many people, you know, when uh, the pandemic first hit, you know, I had, you know, the COVID dreams of, you know, fear-based dreams, but, uh, but I was at least a student enough to understand that, you know, I, what I got out of it was take a breath, <laughs> realize that, you know, I don't have to fear what's going on, you know, make myself as uh, aware of a situation as I could be and, you know, I'll get through it. Um, uh, lately, I've pretty much been having, uh, let's say, pleasant dreams, you know, nothing profound, earth shattering or, you know, life altering, but just pleasant dreams that, that kind of remind me that, you know, I feel like I'm in a good place. A good thing like that. The other thing is that I also use dreams uh, to help my creative process. Uh, and a lot of times, like, my dreams won't really be about, you know, things or, you know, have weird symbols. But if I'm working on, on a project, you know, I'll go to bed thinking about it. And then during the night, I'll come up with, you know, thoughts about it, maybe even, you know, writing paragraphs in my dream about it, you know, and, and sometimes wishing that I had a tape recorder to tape the dream because, you know, I had these brilliant, you know, uh, pieces of writing in the dream. And then when I woke up, 
you know, I can remember some of it, but it was never, you know, quite as brilliant as it was in the dream. You know, I had to work on it in the daytime, but at least it gave me the spark and it gave me the uh, inspiration to go on. So I, I use dreams uh, for that purpose as well. And what is something that, because I want to speak about dream work and what you do now. What's something that you're really proud of when it comes to helping um, others realize how important their dreams are? Well, whenever I'm able to help somebody who's really feeling stuck or really feeling upset about something and, and they come away with it saying, oh, wow, I can go on now. I feel so much better. I feel so relieved. Uh, just give you an example. Um, again, this was another death dream. Somebody came, came to me with calling me in a panic saying, please, 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 you have to help me. Uh, this was a woman who at the time of the dream had, she was pregnant and she also had a toddler and she had a dream that her baby died. So of course she's thinking, oh my God, something's going to happen to my baby. What am I going to do? And I, I can't deal with this on top of it. Uh, between the time she was pregnant with the current, you know, pregnancy, uh, she'd had, and her older child, she'd had a miscarriage. So she was very, very sensitive about the thought that she could possibly lose this, this second baby and was terrified and in a panic about it. Uh, well, like I said, with you, I don't think, you know, I didn't think that the dream really was a literal dream that her baby was going to die. I said, you know, let's take a look at what's going on in your life. I think maybe we're going to get some other meaning to this dream. And sure enough, uh, she was an entrepreneur and she was about to go into business with somebody on another project. And there was a part of her that was kind of, you know, not a hundred percent sure it was going to be a good idea, but this person was like a, a more well-known person than she was. And it was going to, she felt it was going to be a good association for her to be with this person. Then she had this dream. And when we started to talk about it and talk more about her relationship with this other person, she really started to see that maybe it definitely, not just maybe, but definitely she was going to run into problems if she went ahead with this new business venture. So she realized after we had talked that it was better to let the quote baby, or in other words, the business, let the baby business die uh, rather than go through with it and then have, you know, some unforeseen troubles ahead, you know, and uh, when she realized that that's really what the dream was telling her, she felt so relieved that, you know, it wasn't about her baby and business she could deal with. You, know, you always deal with the business situation. And uh, sure enough, uh, you know, she went on to have a very, you know, successful pregnancy. She had, a, I think it was a little girl and, you know, they're doing fine and, and her business she never went into business with that other person, but her business to this day is doing fine. So, uh, you know, it was, it was satisfying that to be able to, to really relieve because she was in such a panic. I mean, just feeling just so distraught 
and you know to help somebody move from that feeling to feeling so relieved is you know that's it's satisfying and and I'm glad that I'm able to help people 